This is Kona Bible Church. Thanks for listening. We pray that you will experience God's blessing as you consider Pastor Brian's latest message from his series, A Love All right, so we're in Love Summons, and I just have loved this series. Uh, we are in the penultimate uh, s- kind of section of, of, the, of the scriptures. And so it's the, and even though there's two left, we might even have a third sermon because we do review day here. <laughs> Love review day. Uh, so we might do review day. Uh, but this is the second to last section of 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, or actually, First Corinthians. It's the end of fifteen, and then and which really wraps up the bulk of his message to the Corinthian church. And then chapter sixteen is largely a lot more personal. Now, there's some nice observations in chapter sixteen that we will get to next week, um, but largely it's it's kind of on the personal end. So this section really wraps up. Uh, the bulk of what he is saying. And so why don't we read through this and then we will uh, just see some observations as we go. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And here, Paul is kind of uh, frustrated, I think, with the, it's not just a, uh, a, a genuine question, it's almost a question of, of, of conflict, Right? It's not coming from like a, a, a true motive like, oh, how are the dead going to be raised? No, it, it's really coming from, really, the dead are raised, right? So he's saying, no, of course, he has already said that earlier, of course the dead are raised. How are there is Well, fool, what you sow will not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. So, so now he's kind of struggling to, or maybe not struggling, but he's finding Uh, a metaphor for you to kind of understand this idea of a resurrected body. And so watch as he unpacks uh, this idea. And think of a seed, right? A seed of of wheat. Uh, I really don't know what it looks like, but it's got to be similar to most seeds. But it's not what wheat becomes. And that's his point. Here you have something that was physical, the seed, and it, it goes into the ground, it dies, and it is raised to life, something also that's physical, but it looks completely different, right? Something even better than what the seed is. And yet, everything that was in the seed, that, that's kind of interesting, it becomes what, what we see. That's, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, so, but, but God gives it a body just as he planned, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same. People have one flesh, animals have another, Birds and fish, another, and there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And I, I, I can affirm that birds have different flesh because my cat brings them in, and uh, they're not anything like my flesh. Uh, and there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly body is one sort, and the earthly, another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. Is, the, is it the same with the res, it is the same with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable, what is raised imperishable. I, I love that idea of the stars. Like here's Paul is giving some insight that our telescopes are really beginning to, I mean, to give us some indication of going, oh my goodness, the stars are different. And they're the, the it's an amazing, it's almost an uh, I don't know if I would say infinite, but there's it seems nearly infinite 
a variety of what's going on in the heavens, and, and we're just getting that story. We're just scratching the surface of what's going on there. Uh, and so, is this where we're at? It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. The, the, the language there is actually used. You could, you could use the language corrupted uh, and, and incorruptible. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Oh, we got to be really careful how we read that, okay? Paul is not trying to give you a Gnostic understanding of, of creation, okay? That Gnosticism is this philosophical belief that really it, it explodes uh, in another century or two after Paul, but this philosophy that says, oh, the physical world is bad, it's really only the immaterial world where you would talk about the spirit or the soul that is the good part, right? And so when he, that's what would be meant by a, a Gnostic is natural and spiritual would be delineating between those two things, physical and spiritual. This is not what Paul means when he is using those different terms, natural and spiritual. Remember, we as human beings were created in the image of God and we were united with our spirit or soul, we can get into all kinds of fancy discussions on trichotomy or dichotomy, uh, which is interesting, but we have this whole immaterial existence that was united to the physical existence, and that is who we are in oneness. The, the unnatural part is when it is cleaved apart and separated. That's death. That's, what, that's part of our death. And that was the, the punishment for exerting our will above God's will is to have this unnatural separation or cleaving of the material and immaterial parts of our existence. So Paul's not trying to somehow delineate between that. No, what he's trying to de delineate is saying something about our physical body and about the future physical body. And he's, it, it's difficult. Anytime you get into these kind of conversations, language gets problematic. And that's why I'm coming back to here and saying definitively what he is not saying is he is not somehow trying to create a better scenario as apart from the body. He's not trying to do that, okay? It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living person. Well, when did that happen? When did he become a living person? when the breath of God went into him, okay? So that's, there, there's this whole, again, immaterial as a part of our physical. You can't somehow separate that. Well, you can, we did, we, because of our sin, we did it. Um, but that's a punishment. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Uh, however, the sp uh, life-giving spirit... Is this right? Okay. However, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man is from earth, made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the one made of dust, so too are those made of dust. And like the one from heaven, so too are to those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, let us also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now this is what I am saying, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the imperishable. So let's think about what he's saying there for a second. We have this whole idea of him being, I'm going to go back to this one real quickly. 
This idea that, remember, that Jesus became incarnate, okay? So he existed eternally in a spirit form, but he took on flesh. So there's this unity that he has with flesh for all of eternity. That's how he exists. Now, his existence goes even beyond the physical, which is kind of mind-blowing, right? To be able to think about this idea of the incarnation of the Word of God, I think is worthy of time spent in reflection, which is why I love that we have a whole holiday celebrating it. Christmas! Like, uh, you know, I understand that the, there's kind of a, a modern sensibility uh, of going, or maybe even a postmodern sensibility of going, you know what? Uh, it's become so commercialized, we're not going to celebrate Christmas because that's not part of the true faith and blah. No, hold on, wait, back up. Jewish people have celebrated different festivals, different acts of God throughout history. There's nothing, nothing that beats, well, there's maybe one thing, one thing that beats the incarnation. What what do you think that beats the incarnation? The resurrection, I'll give you that. The resurrection trumps the, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't use that word these days. The resurrection tops Uh, the incarnation, but it's worthy of celebration. It's actually worthy of time or even a day set aside or a season of your life to, to reflect on the resurrection or incarnation and to think about Jesus coming and an eternal being that comes and takes on our flesh. What is he saying? And that he will eternally exist in that form. What is that saying about the physical? Well, that it's just what God said when he created the physical world. It is good. It is good, it is good, it is good. And then he created man and woman. He said, whoa, it is very good. So we have this whole dynamic of of God saying, oh no, don't lean toward this, this Gnostic philosophy that says the physical is bad. No, everything I'm doing is to redeem and even make it better. So we have that whole uh, thing. And then to think about Jesus, the incarnate being. Okay, so it doesn't, he doesn't stop being who Paul says he is in Colossians. By him and for him and through him, all things are made and all things are held together. So that when you're seeing those, those uh, well, it's not the, it's the James Webb telescope, right? I almost said the Hubble. Yeah, that, that thing's ancient history. 4K. Sorry. <laughs> Anyhow, we got these beautiful pictures that are coming, right? From distant, distant galaxies, Jesus, his being is holding all of that together by his existence. So the day that will come when he's standing, when we're standing in Jesus' presence, because that will happen, where he will be a human, he will be in a human body incarnate. What will be standing before us is him, but so much more than just that. Right? Like that's worth your time to spend some time reflecting on going, wow, I see you right in front of me, and yet somehow you are holding everything together, and we can talk about distant galaxy, but we could also go into the microcosm of our bodies, right? Like you take a a microscope and, and just go into the most, the deepest levels that we can get to, and somehow he's there too, that's going to be an amazing moment. And that's why I think Thomas's expression, when he sees and he, he realizes, 
Uh, right? Because he's like, yeah, I won't believe until I put my hands in it. Right? Because the resurrection to him is crazy. And he, he sees him, and, and the Lord appears, and he says, put your hand. And what does he do? He drops to the ground. This is somebody who walked with him for a couple of years, who knew him, who had probably ridiculous conversations. It's, my favorite, it's one of my favorite things to think about, because I like the comedy of it, right? Like the disciples were with Jesus for how, for how long? And, you know, they were probably like, hey, Jesus, I bet I could skip this rock across. How many skips do you think I could get? Right? Like, you're probably talking like, hey, I got this leaf, and I'm going to wad it up, and I'm going to like throw it. How far do you think I can get? I get this. You're like, all these ridiculous things that got this, because that's what guys do, right? Ridiculous, stupid conversations that entertain us. And then that moment when you realize, oh, he's God. Right? This is what happened to Thomas. And he fell down on his knees, and he said, my Lord my God, and he worshiped Jesus. Think about the aha, epiphanal moments that those disciples would have had, thinking back of their years with Jesus and going, oh, I had, I had the God who's holding everything together. I had him, and I was talking about skipping stones with him. Right, like that, there would have been some of those like silly epiphanies of going, oh, I think I could have better spent my time. And, and that's what I'm talking about when we talk about this incarnation and him coming back in a glorified body for all of eternity, and we get to take on his likeness. There is something amazing about this whole idea of the resurrection, and so. I continue to invite you to embrace the resurrection. Uh, let's continue on. I, I think I read through this, right? The, so when he's saying flesh and blood cannot, he, what, let's go back to what it means, what Jesus said about who, how you get eternal life, right? He says the, the people who get eternal life must be born how many times? They must be born twice, Right? Now, often you, you may have heard that the expression a lot of times in our culture says born again. The Greek is, it's really better to say born from above. And that's what's being kind of communicated here by Paul in this passage is this idea of taking on the spiritual, right? So we have lost a bit of that when we set our will above God's, like we had this kind of break this, that will ultimately lead to the cleaving of the body and soul, but we already experience a bit of that corruptedness. We already have a little bit of the death of the spirit. And so Jesus comes back and he says, not only do you need to be born physically, and I, I can confirm this for you. All you have at least had the first birth. Okay? I've got that nailed. Now the question is, are you going to submit to a second birth? And that's what, where Jesus says you need to be born from above. You need to take on the spirit so that your flesh and blood is not simply flesh and blood, but that it has that immortal existence on it. And, and, and how does Jesus say that you do that? Well, you believe in a God who's able to raise the dead back to life. Right? We walk through this whole thing. Paul says it in Romans chapter 4. He says that we have to become children of Abraham. And how did Abraham do it? He believed the promise that 
that there is a God who's able to raise the dead womb of his wife back to life in order that they would be able to give birth. He believed the promise to be true. And not only did he believe the promise to be true, he believed that the one who gave the promise could deliver on the promise. And so that's when he was born from above. Now we too can become children of Abraham and experience that second birth. If you believe, as he did, that God is able to deliver on what he promised. And he promised you new life. He promised you a new resurrected body. He said, if you simply believe in my son for the forgiveness of that corruption that led you to that unnatural cleaving, I will come and I will top it. I will do even better. Now that's the beautiful, see I say this all the time in here, I don't know if you guys are catching on yet, but I say that whatever, we talked about it when Rebecca got up here and told that tragic story of the mother dying, right, and leaving behind a couple of kids. And like we need to feel that a little bit, like I think we feel, we can feel those stories and the tragedy because oftentimes what happens is we begin to point the finger at God and go, how can you possibly let something like that happen? Okay, here's what he's doing when he's doing that, and this is what I invited you to consider last week, that that symbol up there is not enough, right? That's what Paul said. Paul said it just last week. That symbol's not enough. What other symbol do you need? You need an empty tomb. If, if the cross is all you got, you're still dead in your sins. But, and, and so this is, this is problematic for Christians because for 2,000 years, our symbol has been this. No, our symbol needs to be this and, right? That, that's what Paul's been to. You go back and read. For, here's what I want you to do, okay? I know, I, I love giving you guys homework. I know we've been in 1 Corinthians for a while now. I think it was November when we started this. I want you to go back and reread it. Go back and see what Paul is preaching. He says, my gospel essentially is this, Christ crucified and resurrected. Right? Christ crucified in chapter 1, and at the end, chapter 15, Christ resurrected. It's not just the cross, it is both and. And so we, we have to have these symbols in our, we need, to, we, need to, like, we need a graphic artist to come in to the entire Christian world and go, I love your first symbol, it's great. But let's add one more to it, an empty tomb. Because here's what God is doing in those moments when we are pointing the finger and going, oh, how, how could you possibly let this, here's what he's doing. He's silently, right, like he's nodding at the empty tomb. That's what he's doing, right? Have you, have, have you ever done that with somebody you, where, where like the truth is so obvious that you just, you don't even have to say anything. You just kind of like, you know, like look, look at this, right? And so he's nodding twice. He's nodding once at the, and, and this happens in our lives, right? Uh, where it's like the husband is, well, George and Honoré may have had it this morning. I can't use that because I wasn't there. I wish I could. I might use it anyway, but I don't know. But, right, like, so, like, we messed up, and we have to humble ourselves, right, and, and ask for forgiveness. And so God, and we're like, there's this internal struggle, and we might even be asking God, like, oh, why did you make it? And he, like, he's not even saying it. He's just nodding to the cross, 
Because. Because of the cross. Right? Like, that's the first answer. And then we go, well, that's really painful and difficult. And then he nods again at the empty tomb. And what he's doing is he's taking something. It's by far better. I, I, I don't even know. I, can't, I cannot draw up the passion or the, the volume enough, like bold-faced, italicized, underlined, whatever it might be, to communicate it is far better. You're talking about a little seed that he, Paul's trying to come up with something, a little seed that dies in the ground, and what comes up? Bread. Bread of life. The thing that's going to nourish you. It's by far better. And so for people of faith, we hear this tragedy that happened to this mother. Like I, we need to feel that because we, we have to recognize that when he nods at the empty tomb, that we have confidence that we're able to come alongside that woman and say uh, to that family, that child, and say, yeah, that's awful because of the cross. We get it. That's awful. But there's another symbol. There's an empty grave. And he can take something and make it far better because that's who he is. Far better. You think about what Abraham, right, here, you imagine the struggle that they had to, to just bear a child. Think about the, a, a woman in that society, right? And, and the, the identity that would have been crushed for her not having a child, not being able to kind of give that to her husband and be able to, like you read that struggle in scripture. We, we may not identify with it as much here because we're like, eh, kids. <laughs> At least I was for a little while. For a little while. For a little while. I changed. I changed. But our culture doesn't treat it the same way, right? Like where there's an identity factor. And, they, and God said, I, I can do it. I can raise her back to life, right? I, if you just trust me, believe me, I can do it. And what did he do? He did far better. Because how many children does Abraham have? Not just physical children. He has an immense family, a family of, that, that involves, yes, there's a bloodline, but there's also a faith line, immeasurably better. That's what we need to understand about the resurrection. That's why I'm inviting you to embrace this in its, in its most ultimate sense, that when we hear these tragedies, that we walk through this and we go, oh, oh, there's a God. And, and, and he's, he's given the head tilt to the empty tomb and saying, don't lose hope. Right in those moments where you're accusing God or you're wondering or questioning, he's, he's nodding to the grave. He's nodding to the grave. And he's saying, look, it, it's going to be far better. You can't even, you can't, like, if you looked at a seed, a, a little seed of wheat, could you ever imagine that wheat would grow out, like, any seed, pick any seed, could you ever imagine? And God's going, I got it. I got it. Why would you ever doubt? I, I, I just have to nod at the empty tomb to go back to the uh, scripture. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the blinking of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. 
For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now, when this perishable puts on the imperishable, and this mortal puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will happen, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do you see what he's doing here? He's taking us and he's going, what do we say when we were walking through this book? That there's missing theology that we have. Missing Christology, missing soteriology, missing ecclesiology, right? And he's coming back and he's weaving for us this beautiful theological foundation so that God can just give the head nod. And he can just say, if you have this as part of your worldview built in, then what he's saying is on the basis of this information about who God is, then you should understand the cross and the empty tomb is all you need, right? So, so you don't, so like every, all your efforts, all your motivations to, to do all these things, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, to overcome the division that we breed naturally, like it's not in vain, folks, right? When you think about, we breed division so naturally, but Jesus is, what, what, what are they doing? The, the Trinity, they're nodding at the cross. They're nodding at the tomb and going, it doesn't have to be that way. I got something better for you. But what you experience in, the, in your nature, when you cooperate with the Holy Spirit, you can overcome and you can be able to see this beautiful thing called unity with one another. Right? We, we don't have an empty tomb, but I need you to, I need you to think about an empty tomb. Because that power of the resurrection is what is the foundation for it. Recognizing that, oh, on my own, it's never going to happen, right? Because in me is all that corruption that's leading to death. But as soon as I hand that over, as I nail that to the cross, what is going to happen is, oh, I'm going to be laid into the tomb, right? Think of your baptism. You're going to be laid into your tomb and then you are going to rise again a new creature. Not a surprise that Paul would use that language in his next book to the Corinthians. right? You will be a new creation and able to experience this beautiful thing called unity. And then as the church kind of comes together and does this, we get to be... Uh, like a reflection of God to a world that is like, wait, what? Y'all are not nitpicking and dividing over all these different little issues. You, you love it, but you're all different and you have different ages, different genders, and you, you have different ideas and, and yet you still love one another? Why? And you know what the church is going to be able to say? Nothing. You know what we're going to be able to do? And once we get our graphic artist for the entire church, we're going to be able to do that. Why? Because of the cross and because of the grave. That's why. So as you kind of, kind of walk through this week and, and, and spend some time reflecting on where Paul has gone with this book, 
what the hope that he has tried to give you to overcome this natural tendency to divide? Well, my hope is that you come back and really, as you let go of the things that lead to corrupting and and division, that you hold on or begin to embrace things like the resurrection even more. Uh, That's my prayer for all of us because as we do that, then uh, we're unstoppable because the cross won't have the final answer. The empty tomb will have the final answer. That's what Jesus says. Don't fear the one who uh, who can simply take the body. Fear the one who can take the body and the soul, right? That's the one that that you should fear. And so now we go, oh, I don't have to fear him because he called me friend. I don't have to call him, uh, I don't have to fear him in in this afraid sense because he has promised this to me. I simply have to receive this gift and be born from above so that I might be able to inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, Father, this is our prayer as a, as a church. We want to we continue taking steps away from corruption and toward life. Father, it's not good enough to just let go of something. You used the parable that, that said when, when they cleaned the, the house out uh, with the, the one spirit, and and left it empty, seven more came back in to torment. We don't want to just let go of something. No, we want to fill fill that void with something, and the resurrection is a great place to start. Father, your son, Jesus, he came and he he said, he said, "I, I will lay down my life for these folks, but it will be raised again also for them. Why? So that the reflection of the glory of God can be communicated to all the world. This gift, this announcement, this proclamation is for all. So may may we be a good uh, reflection of that. As we embrace and, and, and embrace this resurrection, may people see the life that comes from our unity with one another and you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.